0: Hi, everyone. This is Deb from Dying to be Found. Before we get started today, I just wanted to mention that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're recording. Are we reading or is this
1: just like an intro we're talking? I think let's just talk. What do you think? Okay. Go.
0: You you can. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Deb.
1: And I'm Beth.
0: And we are so excited about uh, starting this podcast. And it's called, obviously, Dying to be Found. I hope that you guys found us. This is exciting. Beth, I'm a little bit nervous. I am too. (laughs) Okay, so here's what I was thinking in the commute to work today. I'm thinking as we're starting this broad this broadcast, I am excited, I'm nervous. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about to the listeners was the fact that how we kind of came up with the name, Dying to be Found. And in my opinion, and you can certainly tell me what you think, is that it's not, it's just not always about sinister stories of evil people. I want the broadcast itself to be uh, open to interpretation to our listeners. So we can talk about missing persons or uh, anything that we feel that kind of falls into uh, people who just are holding out for hope. And that can, yes, include some of the stories that you hear on the news, like we're going to talk about today, but I just kind of wanted to let our listeners know that we are thinking about you and we want you to, if you have any stories that you want us to cover, it is not just about true crime. It is also about missing persons and things like that. So if you have a story that you would love to hear, then please send us an email at dying to be Found. At gmail.com, and that's actually with a uh, number two and the letter B in the middle, so it's dying the number two, the letter B found at gmail.com. And then you all can also uh, look for us on Twitter and on Instagram, Instagram. <laughs> and you can also look for at dying to be found, which is the dying number two letter B and um the word found so yeah it's it's a little I'm trying to make it consistent but for the purpose of social media we're using that little shortened version but you can also visit us on our website at dyingtobefound.com and that's actually spelling the whole thing out so I'm going to try to get some consistency there we're getting started I'm excited Beth's excited and <laughs> <laughs> what is going on in your neck of the woods?
1: Well, I I was working afternoons yesterday and or evenings, and I get off work at eleven and drive forty kilometers an hour home, which what what that might be about thirty miles an hour, and I get into my parking space and I can't even, I got stuck. So I had to back out and I had to shovel just to park my car.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So you all, I live in the United States and there was, um, an incident a couple of years ago where I was trying to be a good wife and I was running my car up and down the driveway to kind of make tracks because I don't know if you've ever done that Beth. One of the reasons why I've never moved back to Canada is because I don't want to get up. At six o'clock in the morning to shovel. But I can't believe you had to shovel to get into your parking space. So when I was backing up and going up and down so that the tire marks were leaving like a uh, I guess like a track so that John could come in and park. Uh, I ended up doing a 180 and slamming into my mailbox, you all. My sister, we have been talking about getting this started for so long, and my sister dropped off. She's not even in this meeting anymore. So hold that thought. It looks like hopefully she's going to be able to log back on. Maybe I'll get a text in a minute. So in the meantime, I want to talk about a a teachable moment for just a moment. Teachable moment being that just be kind. I have this saying on my wall and it's all about just being kind and kindness will follow you. So um, I just wanted you all to think about that. So Beth's not here yet. I'm going to keep talking or maybe I'll be silent. So let's talk about her while we're here. Okay. So this is what I remember about Beth when she was, when we were growing up. Um, she's the, she's my older sister and I was the youngest. So if anybody out there is the youngest, you know, you get babied a lot. It was always, we have three sisters. It's, um, Beth and then my other sister and then myself. Well, it always seemed like Beth and I used to gang up on our other sister. Her name's Kathy, by the way. But in the meantime, it was either always Beth and me against Kathy or Kathy and me against Beth. So who came out the winner here? I'm thinking it was me. Welcome back, Beth. We've been talking about you. You have. (laughs) Yeah, I was telling everybody about our childhood a little bit. Oh, (laughs) I guess you're gonna have to listen to find out. I guess I
1: will. (laughs) My computer keeps freezing and then it crashes.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, we're in, in episode one and you guys were learning. <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of learning. It's a teachable moment for Beth and myself on how to do a podcast, but it's going to be one of the best because we're going to take on North America, right? Right. Okay. Do you want to tell us finish telling me about the snow? Because I think I got sidetracked and told you about my 180 and smashing the 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 mailbox.
1: So as I was moving into my spot, I couldn't get in, so I parked it out a little ways and I continued shoveling. And then I went to drive around a little block so that I could just run right into the snow
0: so I wouldn't get stuck.
1: And in the meantime,
0: uh, wait, wait. Are you talking about taking a running start into the snow?
1: Yeah. (laughs) 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 Okay, keep going. My dear husband with his huge, massive truck happened to be in the parking spot because he just got home from his afternoon shift. So he went back and forth, back and forth with some uh, of his big wheels.
0: Like I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't do it. But he's probably got those snow tires on. I, I didn't
1: because <laughs> I live in
0: America where we don't get much snow. OK, so you you uh you got in. No problem. No problem. OK, I do have to ask you because it's been you all. I have not lived in Canada as a grown adult. I, I don't even think I had my driver's license, but Beth, do you have to shovel your driveway, like shovel your area just to get out every morning to go to work? Um, Depends on the winter. Oh my gosh. So years, that's a yes.
1: It was the roughest winter. It was the
0: roughest winter. And yes, you guys get
1: out, shovel to get in. But
0: yeah, so that's why I don't move up north anymore. <laughs> what else you want to talk about? Anything or should we get going? Well, we may as well get going. Okay, let's get going. So, I want to talk of today about Susan Smith, and oh goodness, do you do, do you ever remember watching that show Criminal Criminal Minds? Oh yeah. So at the very beginning of that show, there's like a mosaic of pictures of people's mug shots, and I kept zoning in on one person in particular, and I could not put my put my finger on who that person was until I literally started uh, doing the research on this case that I'm going to talk about today, which is Susan Smith from South Carolina. And what do you, do you know much about her or just what was in the news? Just what was in the news. Okay. So I'll just kind of get started in her early life and kind of move through high school. So she was born Susan Lee Vaughn Smith on September 26th of 1971 her parents' names were Linda Sue Harrison and Harry Vaughn, and they lived in Union, South Carolina, which is just east of Greenville. Greenville's a pretty big hub in, in, um, in South Carolina, so she lived just east of Greenville. She was the youngest of three children. She had two older brothers and uh, grew up in an extremely dysfunctional household. I can't imagine living in a house like that. That's, you know, we'll, we'll get into that, so even though her parents argued in front of the kids all the time, Susan kind of kept her dad on a pedestal. And um, unfortunately, when she was seven years old, he did commit suicide after their parents her parents' divorce. So um, I'm, I can imagine losing a parent at that age could be pretty detrimental. So um, it kind of seemed like from there, she she was a little bit destructive. Um, and a few years later, her mom ended up marrying another man who at the age of 16, uh, when Susan was 16, the the stepdad at that point molested her. So she reported this abuse to her school counselor and her mother. Beth, what would you do if you had one of your kids come and say, you know, something's going on and I need to talk to you about it? Well, I certainly would get to the bottom of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, social services did nothing. They did a little investigation. Um, Nothing was really ever done. And there is speculation that Susan may have been convinced to, to drop the charges. I'm sure that was quite awkward for the people in the house. So, um, I'm sure that she was probably convinced to drop it. Uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So in high school, as Susan got a little bit bit older, she did become somewhat promiscuous and even began relationships with married men, older men, but on the good note though, as a good civilian, as we all are trying to do our duty and volunteer services in, in high school, she belonged to Civitan club, which is known for community service and The senior yearbook had her titled as the friendliest female. So um, I don't, I couldn't really find much more about that. So I'm really not sure if there's, you know, those two things tied in about her promiscuity, but we'll just call her the friendliest female. So she eventually ended up marrying David Smith on March 15th, 1991 After she told David that she was pregnant with her first child, the couple's first son was Michael Daniel Smith. And he was born on October 10th, 1991. So just four months later in March of 1992, Susan and David separated, but they continued their on again, off again relationship. Uh, They remained married, but they were separated. And they frequently had affairs while they were married But on November, 1992, I guess this is when they were no longer on a break. Susan ended up getting uh, pregnant again with Alexander Tyler Smith, who was born August 5th, 1993. So she had two little ones pretty close in age together, trying to work it out with her husband. But because Susan had a history, she was continuing to have those marital affairs after the boys were born. And then in 1994... Susan began having an affair with her boss's son, and his name is Tom. I, I feel like when this story came out, I feel like he was probably interviewed on the news. I'm not sure what his last name is. I think I found it somewhere, but, you know, for the purpose of our conversation, I don't think it's really important to, um, you know, say the whole name right now. So, but he- basically told Susan that he did not want to get married. He did not want to have any kids. He did not want to deal with Susan's kids. So I guess my question to you, Beth, is how long would you stay in a relationship with somebody who just blatantly says, yeah, I don't really want to deal with your kids? Zip nada. (laughs) Okay, so believe it or not, she actually got a Dear Jane letter. And if you're old enough to know a Dear John or Dear Jane letter before all these emails came out, well, Susan was the recipient of one, pretty much saying everything that I had just mentioned about him not wanting to have any kids or dealing with hers. So, Based on Susan's background, Beth, what do you think was starting to to go through Susan's head at this point? I mean, okay, we're talking about rejection, where we think we love someone, but they don't love us. So what do you think was going on in her in her head? Do you know anybody who's been in a situation like that? Well, maybe um, did she tell Tom that she would leave her husband? Well, I mean, that would be great if she would leave her husband, but she didn't want to leave the boys with him, with with David. So she said, no, it was not going to stop there. She just decided that, nope, I'm not going to say anything to my husband. There's no reason to leave him. But after receiving that dear Jane letter, Susan, unfortunately, contemplated self-harm. And did not want her boys to suffer because of what she witnessed when she was a child, when her dad completed suicide. So, um, you know, I, I don't. I'm not in this situation. I've never been in this situation. I don't know anybody in this situation. But um, it just seems to me like when you know you're you're young and you you just think that that one person in your life is all that well you know you're going to do everything that you can to try to make it work right at least from your end mhm for sure so on october 25th of 1994 susan drove home and i'm assuming from toms because she got both of her kids she drove home from, from toms after getting the letter got both kids and just began driving around around eight o'clock at that night. Have you ever gotten in the car with your kids just to drive around? I mean, I have known people, especially if you have like a colicky baby or something and you want to, sometimes those car rides are very soothing, but you know, just consider her, her, her frame of mind and putting kids in the car. So um, have you ever put your kids in the car just to drive around? I mean, it could be because they were, you know, uh, that was a good fast way for them to fall asleep.
1: Uh. I remember one time when my son, uh, probably around two years old, wouldn't fall asleep when we were in a cottage. So we took him for long rides. We took turns, uh, my husband and I, to drive around, and it was moose territory. And that's what crossed our minds. Oh, my gosh, are we going to hit a moose? Holy cow. We went back and forth a couple times. The kid never slept.
0: (laughs) No, I don't think I've ever done that. I uh, my kids were pretty good. So, um, question for you, Beth: Do you go boating? Don't you have a boat?
1: Yes. Okay. Boating often on Lake Huron.
0: Okay. Hey, that was my uh, that was my ocean growing up. You all. Oh, I thought you were going to say something, Beth.
1: No, I just took a (laughs) breath in because I'm just. Thinking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm just kind of bringing that up about boating because, um, do you know, are you good with measurement? Not at all. Gosh, me neither. Beth, whenever I use the GPS, I swear I have to look at that picture so closely. I cannot tell you how many turns I've, I've missed.
1: I still use MapQuest. I have a car that doesn't have a GPS and I, I prefer the map. Dad taught us on maps and how to yep. read them. And I'm a map
0: girl. Susan was driving around that night and around nine o'clock, you remember she was in the car for an hour or so, right? And she came up on a lake. I think It was called John D. Long Lake. And I mean, I personally um, live in a water ridden area. So I've, I've, I've passed a few boat ramps myself. And I do see that they're, you know, they're pretty long. So she drove onto a 75 foot boat ramp onto or or at the John D. Long Lake. And then she decided she was going to stop halfway down and get out of her car with both kids still strapped to the seat. Okay. Do you see anything wrong with this picture yet? Yeah. So she's like, okay, she's just going to take out, take a break, get out of the car, maybe walk around the car for a minute. But Why she decided to park the car on the ramp is beyond me, Um, but she didn't go, she didn't stop there. She just stood there and watched as her car went into the lake. So she pretty much just left the kids in the back seat strapped in while she got out of the car and watched it roll down halfway down that 75 foot boat ramp into the water. So, I mean, me personally, I can't imagine the scenario of just sitting there watching that happen is, you know, it's, it's unfathomable to me. It (laughs) is
1: to to your own
0: children. Yeah, absolutely. But 10 minutes later, she recovered because she was found crying on someone's porch about a quarter of a mile away. What am I thinking when I'm walking away from watching my children go down a, I guess at that point, 35 foot Mm -hmm. boat ramp. Um, and walking a quarter of a mile, you guys, that's going around the track one time. So how long does that take you? And she gets to the porch about a quarter of a mile away from the boat ramp and told the homeowner that she wa- that there was an African-American male that had jumped in her car while she was just sitting at a red light, minding her own business, then stole her car with her, her children inside. So I kind of want you to remember that I um, had mentioned the red light, Beth, because that kind of comes into play. Um, okay, so police ha- have have a job to do. I'm going to say they're probably pretty good at it if they've been in policing for a while. But they became very suspicious um, pretty much from the get-go because remember the red light that I just told you to remember um, that Susan was sitting at, right? Right. So... I mean, I've come up to red lights before where there's like a little trigger or something like a sensor. So you're sitting there at the light and then you're coming up on it. And then all of a sudden the light turns green, right? So this light in a very small town in Union, South Carolina, basically had one of those triggers and it was impossible for Susan to be at the red light because as you were coming up on the light, the light censored it, and then you just drive through. The light would be green by the time you actually came to the intersection, so um, she did say she was sitting at that red light, but the evidence shows that that was clearly impossible, and that never happened, so um, through the entire ordeal of the kids being missing, David Smith did stand by Susan's side, and he believed that uh, her account of the whole ordeal. Okay. So if I'm married to somebody like this and the kids disappear, I mean, I, I can kind of get it. I mean, would you be in the same boat? I feel okay. In his defense, she is my wife. I think, okay, well, I don't really know what's happening, but I'm definitely going to listen to what she has to say about it. So um, I definitely don't put any I mean, as far as any blame in this situation, I, I can't see that David could take any blame. He just stood by her side and believed her because he's, uh, she's his wife, right? Yeah. But good two days after,
1: uh,
0: pardon? A good liar too. She is. Oh, absolutely. Or, or is she, is she a good liar? So two days after the boy's disappearance, both Susan and David Smith took a polygraph because of those suspicions that they had on Susan's story about what happened at the intersection. So, you know, they both took it. David passed his polygraph polygraph with flying colors, but Susan's polygraph showed deception, especially when she was asked if she knew the whereabouts of her, of her two boys. I don't know how long it takes to take a polygraph, but I cannot imagine answering these questions and literally saying, I do not know where my boys are at. That is just crazy. So um, and then, too, I don't know if uh, how the laws are in Canada, because, again, I haven't been there in a while. But um, I, you can't use a polygraph here in America and it, it won't hold up in court because, you know, some of them are considered to be unreliable. So
1: I, I don't believe that they can use the
0: results here either. But isn't that still, though, even though you can't use it in court, isn't that a great like a great tool to use to get people to confess.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, we're building up on the pressure here. So for the next nine days, Susan went on national news with her husband, David, and begged the mysterious carjacker to please return her children safely. And during one of her interviews, Susan literally said, whoever did this is a sick and emotionally unstable person. So I actually threw in a couple pictures into some notes here that I'm, I'm kind of going through. And I, I did this so that you can vision envision um, some of the, the photos of her sitting on the couch while she's being interviewed. Have you ever seen anybody interviewed on the news? That's fake, fake crying.
1: Yeah. I can think of a couple. Oh, she was totally,
0: all this stuff is coming up. And when I did my research, I did actually go and look at some of these videos again. Yeah. She's still fake crying almost 30 years later. Mm. So, um, the community became just as suspicious because the population of union, South Carolina was approximately 70% Caucasian and 30% African American. So, Think about that. I don't know what kind of community you have as far as diversity, Beth. But um, when you have seventy thirty, then many of the people in that in that community felt that it was a little bit unbelievable because someone would notice an American, an African American man driving around with two Caucasian children in the back seat. So, um, I guess there was just a lot of speculation on that. And so the sketch artist also felt that susan was being deceptive so um sounds to me like the only person standing by her right now is is her husband as as well he probably should but um the sketch artist felt that susan was being deceptive because she was just too vague and so i actually added this sketch into our notes as we're kind of talking here and i wanted to get your feedback what do you think about this sketch
1: well a couple of things it's pretty basic there is nothing that really stands out about the picture. And two, why does she have a profile view? Is it because she was sitting next to him? The sketches I've seen are usually
0: facing forward. Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking too. I mean, okay, I don't think I've ever seen a sketch of somebody that everybody's trying to look out for I've never seen a a profile view and that means sideways in case nobody knows I mean it's just somebody looking off to the side it's like yeah. you know when you take the mugshot, you take the front the front view and then they turn to their left and you take the side view that's that's what we have here only he's yeah. turning to his right so so I I don't think I mean it's average there's no distinguishing features and yeah, that and I mean, I'm kind of looking back to when this was on the news. Um, it, it was a little bit off to me too, but I'm no, I'm no expert, so who knows? All right, so between the lie detector test and the sketch artist and the community, then Susan pretty much was crumbling at that point. And on November third of 1994. Susan was pretty much confronted by the authorities about all these inconsistencies in her story. So she finally broke down and ad- admitted everything that happened. So what had happened is she, you know, she had got her dear Jane letter. Oh, she drove around to just think about things, Strapped those poor children in the car, got to the lake and got out of the car with the kids strapped inside 75 foot. Um, ramp. Now she was only at about 35, probably 40 feet at the very most. but think about how much velocity velocity that's going to be coming up off that car as it's speeding down that ramp, right? Right. So earlier when the kids were still missing, the police actually were looking. Um, they went ahead and swept that lake, but they only and I, I, I couldn't find any reasons why, but they went out only 30 feet. So because of that velocity of the car speeding down the ramp, the car actually drifted out to about 60 feet. So the kids were out there um, probably for, you know, however however many days that was. And um, they were able to find them pretty quickly after that. So um, the community's response that came from all of this was that Susan's brother was somewhat vocal. He apologized to the African-American community and said that, pretty much Susan's um, actions did not really reflect what was going on as far as like where, where he stood in the family. Um, He did not want Susan's accusations to cause division in the community between Caucasian and African-American Christian groups um, or the community. And um, the Christian groups were also saying the same thing. And they had a couple of preachers in town that were pretty much saying that on Sunday morning at their church, that, um, they needed to be forgiving. So the local churches, their message at the, the preacher's messages said that this was not the time to divide the community. And that's pretty much what Susan's brother said. So I have got to just applaud that community because what a time to come together. I think that there's just so much, so much, I don't know, bias and and things going on and This could definitely have really put a wedge into the community, but I mean, bravo to them that everybody came together on this. So um, on November 6th, 1994, Michael Smith and Alexander Smith were buried together in a coffin. And um, so then Susan went on to her trial after that. All right. So during her sentencing, uh, about eight months before Susan's trial, she was kept on watch in the jail because uh, they were afraid that she was going to harm herself. And she, although Susan was clearly suffering from various mental disorders, she was still found fit to stand trial. And prosecutors originally sought the death penalty they, that required a unanimous vote from the jury. And after five days of testimony, It took the jury less than three hours to come back with the, with the guilty plea. She was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison where she sits today. Here comes David Smith again. Oh my gosh. So I just, I don't know. My heart goes out to him. He had such a traumatic event happen in his life. Um, but he's been strong. And he actually said during the during the trial or after the trial and Susan's was sentenced to the 30 years to life in prison that David did not agree with the jury's decision of that life in prison, but he respected it. So, um, he's since moved on and I read somewhere that he, uh, didn't think he ever could move on, but I mean, the, the beautiful, the beautiful outcome of this is that he did eventually have another daughter and a son and he's doing really well today. So that's nice to hear. Yeah, that is excellent. So, um, just coming to, coming back to Susan, she was initially sent to the Camille Griffin Graham correctional facility in Columbia, South Carolina. But while she was there, imagine this Beth, she had sexual relations with a couple of the guards. <laughs> so there she is. Of Still the pattern, right? Yeah. And um she was eventually moved to the Leith Correctional Institute in Greenwood County, South Carolina. But in the midst of all this, you know, I feel like human beings are still social creatures, and everybody believes everybody should have a a chance at love, right? She posted a personal profile on writeaconvict.com, but it was later taken down.
1: That's good. She shouldn't
0: have been able to do that. Wait, was it good that she posted on writeaconvict.com? No. (laughs) Okay. I I don't know much about the, the, about the, um, is it the penal system? The correctional, the corrections system? I do not know much about that. But I just want to know how in the world she posted on writeaconvict.com. Do they have like a public library on the facility that they could go to and just sign up?
1: Uh, probably did.
0: No. Have you ever seen the the um, Orange is the New Black? Yep. Yep. That's what I'm but thinking. Too. <laughs> okay. So anyway, there we have it. So she's still sitting in the Leith Correctional Institute in Greenville, South Carolina. And is up for parole, get this, on November 4th, 2024. That's what, a year and a half from now? Yeah. Two and a half years, sorry. See, my math is bad, you all. Um, Yeah, so that's two and a half years from now. Two and a half years.
1: I don't think she should be paroled. um, When you do something like that so serious, and especially to your own children. Yeah. And lying to the community.
0: Oh yeah. For sure. She
1: needs to pay for her actions.
0: Yeah. Well, I found a letter because I went back and I researched a little bit more and she did write a letter about this entire ordeal because, you know, journaling is very therapeutic and good for the soul. Right. Yeah. So I thought that I could probably read the excerpt, excerpt, excerpt. How do you say that? Ep- I'm going to read. You're the letter, doing good.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to read this letter from Susan and it's dated. It's dated in 1999. Um, let's see. So here we go. When I left my home on Tuesday, October 25th, I was very emotionally distraught. I did not want to live anymore, exclamation mark. Oh, this would be good. I'm going to do this in like text talk. I felt like things could, could never get any worse. When I left home, I was going to ride around a little while, and then I would just go to my mom's. As I rode and rode and rode, I felt that even more anxiety was coming up upon me, and I did no, I no longer wanted to live. I felt I couldn't be a good mom anymore, but I didn't want my children to grow up without a mom. I felt I had to end our lives to protect us all from any grief or harm. And then she scribbled out something. I'm not sure. I can't even see what it says. I have never felt so lonely and so sad in my entire life. I was in love with someone. Very much, but he didn't love me and never would. I had a very difficult time accepting that, but I had hurt him very much, and I could see why he could never be me. I think that she meant never be with me. But when I was at John D. Long Lake, I had never felt so scared and unsure as I did then. I wanted to end my life so bad and was in my car, ready to go down that ramp into the, into the water. And I did go part way, but I stopped. I went again and stopped. I then got out of the car and stood by the car, a nervous wreck. Why was I feeling this way? Why was everything so bad in my life? I had no answers to these questions. I dropped to the lowest when I was, when I allowed my children to go down that ramp into the water without me. I took off running and screaming, oh God, oh no, what have I done? Why did you let this happen? I wanted to turn around so bad and go back, but I knew it was too late. I was an absolute mental case. I couldn't believe what I did. I love my children with all my little heart emoji that will never change. I have prayed to them for forgiveness and hope that they will be fine in in their heart. Another little emoji heart to forgive me. I never meant to hurt them. I am sorry for what have, has happened. And I know that I need some help. I don't think I will ever be able to forgive myself for what I've done. My children, Michael and Alex are with our heavenly father now. And I know that they will never be hurt again. As a mom, that means more than words could ever say. You know what? I think I'm done reading. There's a whole nother paragraph here. If anybody wants to see this, you can actually find this online. It is dated 11-3-1999. I don't think I want to listen to that anymore. What do you think? No. Yeah. Okay. I get she it. She to
1: stay in jail.
0: Yeah. Well, two and a half years. We'll see her driving around. Okay. So with that being said, that's our very first podcast. And that's our very first story. What other thoughts do you have? Any thoughts about the story itself, Beth?
1: No, I just keep going back to thinking of those two boys as, what her, as mom was watching them go down. It's, it's cruel. It's you, just unimaginable.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, okay. Well, goodness. Um, you know what we haven't talked about? How do we end these things? <laughs> so okay. there you have it. There you have it. That's our first podcast. I'm sorry it was so grim. Again, if you guys are looking to uh, listen to anything that has to do with missing people, anywhere that we can maybe spread some hope keeps hope alive um, give you guys the the things that you want to listen to by all means you can email us at dyingtobefound at gmail.com and you can visit us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at dying to be found and then also go visit our website at dying to be found. Sounds good. okay We're getting our name's out there. We are. Oh, you know what? It would be so exciting if we had 14 followers today. You all, I don't know if this was recorded already, but this morning we had 10 followers. When I left work today, we were up to 12. Let's keep it up. Keep listening.